Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 6. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now he was going around the villages in a circuit teaching. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick. No bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not to put on an extra shirt. Then he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you and the people refuse to listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they were driving out many demons, anointing many sick people with olive oil and healing them. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at these words today, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. I pray that there would be something in these words that we need to hear. And I pray that you just would reveal it to us today. Help us not to be distracted with things of the world, dear Lord. Any worries or fears or, or things that we may have brought into this place, God, I pray that we give them to you this morning. I pray that we can learn something from your word, and I pray that you just would bless it, dear Lord. Just bless us for being here. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This passage kind of picks up, at least where we started, right in the middle of what we read last week. So if you weren't here, then you kind of were lost when we first started reading in verse 6. But what had happened was Jesus had gone back to his own hometown, that is Nazareth, and the people there had rejected him. They didn't really think much of what he was saying. They, they began to kind of question, wait, who is he? Isn't he just a carpenter? Don't we know his family, his mom, dad, his brothers and sisters? And it said that they were offended by the things that Jesus was telling them. And as a result of that, Jesus was able to do very little in his hometown. A prophet is not without honor, Jesus said, except for in his own town, among his own family, his own household. And that's exactly what was the case uh, with Jesus and Nazareth. And so he was not able uh, to do many miracles there, only heal a few, it says. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, up until this point, what we've seen in the book of Mark is Jesus doing all of these things. Now, he had begun to preach, and at the beginning of the book, you may remember that Jesus began to preach repentance. That's what he was preaching to the people that they needed to repent, that is, turn from their old ways, their sinful ways, and turn to Him. So anything that the people were following before this point that was not Jesus Christ, Jesus was saying, it's time to turn to Me. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light. No one comes to the Father except by Me, Jesus says. We see that in John chapter 14. That's kind of the message that Jesus had been bringing. Now, upon preaching repentance to the people, he had also been healing people. He had been raising the dead. He had been casting out the demons. These were things that the Scripture says, who had done these things before? There had nobody who had done these things before. That's what the blind man said when Jesus healed him and the Pharisees didn't want to believe it. He said, look, you can think he's a sinner if you want to, but the bottom line is nobody in the world has ever done things like this. Nobody's ever opened the eyes of the blind. And indeed, no one had done those things or raised the dead. Jesus was coming onto the scene and he was doing these things that other people had not been able to do. But now he was doing these things in abundance. And now he was beginning to send his disciples out in this passage that we see today. Now Jesus, being a good teacher, 
uh, was not only teaching us and all the people he taught then the things that they needed to know, but I believe that he was preparing them, and particularly he was preparing these 12 that were with him. Now these were men who were with him probably most of the time throughout his ministry. They were close to Jesus. Now some of them, Peter, James, and John in particular, got to see a little more than some of the rest of them. They were there with Jesus and some of the more miraculous uh, events that took place, and they got to see some things that maybe the rest of them didn't get to see, uh, but they all got to see a lot that Jesus did. As Jesus went around and did these things, they were able to, to witness how he teach, or excuse me, how he taught people, uh, how he preached to people. Uh, they were able to see how he loved on people, the way he interacted with people. Uh, they were able to see all of these things, and what a great teacher to learn from. Now, we've probably all had people like that in our life. Now, it may have been people at our church. Uh, it may have been, a, it may have been uh, someone at a job we work, a boss or a co-worker we work with, or, or just the way that, that other people interact with people they encounter. And we may see these people, and we may say, boy, the way that he or she does that, boy, that's the, that's, I want to do that. And so we watch them close so that we can mimic them. I want to be like him. I want to be able to do that job as good as he or she does it. I want to be able to interact with people the way that he or she does it. And, and you've probably found that there are people like that in your life that you've watched closely because you see the way they do it and you think, boy, that's the, that's the right way to do it. Whether it's just something as simple as just physical labor and the way somebody does a job or whether it's the way that a, that a brother or sister in Christ loves on somebody else that they encounter and takes care of them and are there for them. We probably have people that we look up to, to and that we learn from and that we listen when they speak to us. And I believe that that's no doubt exactly what these apostles, these twelve, were doing with Jesus. They were with Jesus. And I bet you they were really watching close, sometimes with puzzlement. Now, why is he doing that that way? Have you ever watched somebody work on something and you see them doing it and you can't imagine why they're doing it the way they're doing it and then they get finished and then whatever they're doing pops into place and then you say, oh, well, that makes sense now. I've seen that before. I've seen people do stuff and I'll say, now how in the world is this going to turn into that? We saw uh, this, this, this guy, he was, had, had a glass blowing class and he was making a, a little glass teddy bear, helping a lady make one out of glass. And it was just a solid tube and a little, little, little thing. And I'm thinking, how's he going to make a teddy bear out of that? But lo and behold, we didn't stay for the whole thing, but we watched a lot of it. And we saw the little teddy bear that he had made right before we got there. And lo and behold, he took that blob. And before we left, we saw it was kind of starting to take shape into a teddy bear. And it was twisting and turning and, and this and that and the other. And sometimes... The ways that people do things don't make sense to us, but if they know what they're doing, it usually pops right into place. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, of course, knew what he was doing. And so all of these things that he did, as odd as they may have seemed, spitting and making mud and rubbing on people's eyes, uh, and all of these type of things, they probably seemed odd. But I bet you these apostles, boy, they were really watching Jesus. They were seeing what he said to people and how he said it to people. And I think that's what Jesus intended. He wanted to show them. He wanted to let them know, here's what you do. Why? Because Jesus was not going to be here forever. He was going to be here for a little while, but he needed to prepare his followers to know how to serve him. And he started with these 12. 
Now, there were many disciples of Jesus Christ, but these particular 12 we called the apostles, and he began to really pour into them. I think that's what he was doing these three years or so that he was having his ministry, is he was pouring into these men, not only preaching and teaching on his own and doing the miracles, but he was pouring into these men and getting them prepared for the job that they were going to continue when he was gone. We see that throughout the Scripture. He sends them out again as, 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 as he goes back to heaven. Who does he send out to keep doing the work? Well, it's these 12. It's a few more other Christians that are there. And they begin to spread and they begin to do the work and spread the word of the gospel. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament is the work being done. Now, we know for a fact that Jesus was successful in preparing these men to do the work. Why? Because there are still Christians in the world today. Now, if all of these followers of Jesus, the ones who were closest to him, if they had said, well, we're not going to keep following Jesus, we saw him do some cool stuff, but that was enough. If they would have gone back to their old lives and not done what they were supposed to do, then, well, Christianity may not even exist today. But they were faithful to what Jesus had prepared them for. He had prepared them for a task, for a job, for, for a job of service, and they were ready for that job of service. And so when he was gone, they continued to preach. They continued to teach. They continued to go far and wide, and more and more people heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what's still going on today. And so in preparation for getting these 12 ready, here we see the first account in Mark where he's going to send them out on their own. He's going to kind of let them get a little bit of experience. Now, you've probably had an experience like that yourself where there was something you were learning to do and somebody said, all right, I'm going to hand over the reins to you. I'm going to let you do it. You're on your own now. Now, if you're like me in some of those experiences, it probably didn't turn out too good the first time. I remember for years I screen printed t-shirts, and when you watch somebody screen print a t-shirt, it looks really easy to do. And so I'd watch my uncle do it, and then it was time for me to step up. All right, it's my turn. Well, them first few I did, they looked pretty bad. I couldn't pull that thing across good. I didn't have a good motion. It wasn't smooth. But over time, I learned. He showed me, and it was my turn to step up, and pretty soon, it didn't take long, I was printing T-shirts all day and not thinking twice about it. And I think that that's probably the same technique that Jesus was using here. He didn't wait till after he was dead and gone to send them out for the first time. He was kind of letting them dip their toe in the water. He was preparing them for what they were going to encounter. And he began to send them out here two by two. And so he sends them out, but he tells them not to take anything with them. Don't take any money. Don't take an extra shirt. Just pretty much wear the clothes you got on your back and head out. Now, I think that Jesus was intentional when he did this. And I believe that Jesus probably did that because he did not want them trusting in anything else on their journey other than him. He didn't want them to rely on their wealth. He didn't want them to rely on what they had with them, on what they could do. He simply wanted them to go out and do his work. There was only one job that they had to do. They had to go out and tell the people about him. They had to go and repent, uh, tell, excuse me, to tell the people to repent. Uh, they were given the ability to drive out demons. They were given the ability to heal. These were things up until this point, Jesus was doing. But now Jesus is giving the authority to them. They have the power to do these things. Why? Because it has come to them through Jesus Christ. And he is sending them on their way and wants them only to be relying on him. Not their wealth, not on what they take, on him alone. 
Now, that's important for us to remember, too, because there may be times in our life, and maybe for some of us right now, that we really do begin to rely on the things that we have. Uh, Maybe that's why the Scripture says, blessed are the poor. Because when we have a lot, boy, it sure is a lot more tempting for us to trust in that lot that we have. Whether it be money or possessions or or status that we have, a job that we have, uh, we may begin to rely on those things and to trust in those things. If we have those things around, boy, it's hard not to uh, begin to put too much energy and time and focus and trust in them. And I think that's why Jesus told the disciples here, I don't want you to take anything with you. I want you to go, and I want you to trust me, and I want you to do the work. And the same is true for you and I. Uh, We need to keep our trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the one who's going to guide us. He is the one who's going to be with us. And while there may be blessings that we have and things that we have in this world, we should never get to a point where we put our trust in them. Because when we begin to trust in other things, we quit trusting in the Lord. And the Lord does, never want us, uh, does not ever want us to be uh, in that position, in that type of situation. And so he tells them, all right, I'm sending you out. I'm empowering you. I'm sending you on your way to preach the message uh, to these different people that you are going to encounter. Now, he gives them some instruction and, and tells them that there are going to be some, of course, who are going to accept and some who are going to reject him. Now, let's turn to Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 10. If you've got a finger there and you want to turn... Turn to Matthew chapter 10. We'll start in verse 5. Matthew chapter 10. Very similar uh, story here, but there are some more details, a few different details than what we've seen uh, in the book of of Mark. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. Don't take the road leading to other nations, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this was a a, a phrase that we did not see in Mark. Now, this may seem like an odd phrase, or if we just kind of looked at it quickly and didn't really understand all of Scripture, we may think, well, well, boy, that's kind of rude of Jesus. Why didn't he want the rest of the people to hear the message? Well, it's not that Jesus didn't want the rest of the people to hear the message, but the, peop- uh, the disciples here were supposed to go to the Jewish people, the house of Israel first, not to the other places, but they were to go to God's chosen people. Now, they would have been the ones who were looking for Jesus the most. The Jewish people would have been looking for the Messiah because they had the prophets. Now, there were many of them, of course, that did not listen to the prophets, and we see that in Scripture in the New Testament that they did not listen to the prophets, and Jesus, he got on them pretty hot and heavy. But there were no doubt a few who were looking forward to the Messiah, who were listening to the words of the prophet, and who were waiting for the day for the Messiah to come. Now, uh, these that were looking for the Messiah, when they heard the message, they would have no doubt, probably most of them accepted it because they had been looking for it. They were ready for the Messiah to come. And so uh, the Gentile people, while some of them may have known about the Messiah that was to come, it's far more likely that it was the Jewish people who this message would have connected with the most at first. Now, of course Jesus loved the Gentiles. Praise the Lord for that because we are all Gentiles. Uh, and, And Jesus wanted the word to be spread to the Gentiles. And we see 
Almost the whole New Testament, uh, when we look at the writings of Peter or Paul, we see them uh, dealing with and going to the Gentile people. And so the promise of salvation was for all. Uh, all who come to Christ are, are children of the Lord. But in this particular instance, Jesus was sending uh, the disciples to uh, the people of Israel first and not to go to any Samaritan, that is, Gentile towns. Now, uh, the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans at all. There was a feud there, uh, and so uh, Jesus was not showing favoritism here. He did not share the same hatred as the rest of the Jewish people did. He simply was sending the, the disciples to the ones who were looking forward to the Messiah the most, and then the message was to go to all of the Gentile nations, as we see take place later in Scripture. All right, verse 7. As you go, announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now this is the same phrase that Jesus started his ministry with in Mark chapter 1. He said the kingdom of God has come near. Now here it says heaven. I believe that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same place, although some would say they're different places. But we only see kingdom of heaven mentioned uh, in Matthew's gospel account. And so it seems to me it's the same place that uh, that Matthew just used a different uh, phrase to describe it here. But it, uh, the message is, is very similar to what we see Jesus bringing at the beginning of Mark. What are they to tell, to tell the people? They are to tell the people that the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. Now, Jesus tells them again to do the same things that Jesus had been doing. The, the, the apostles, at least in this instance, uh, had, had power over these things. Now, whether this power stayed with them from this point forward through the rest of their ministry, it's possible that that was the case. Uh, it's also possible that maybe this authority was only given to them uh, for this instance, for this journey of going out. Uh, the scripture, I don't think, is very clear there. So it's possible from this point forward that all the apostles had all of these gifts readily available to them, uh, or it could have just been for this instance here. He says to them, you have received free of charge, give free of charge. Now that's a good verse. That's a good message that uh, we need to make sure when we are talking about the kingdom of God. When we enter into the kingdom of God and we receive the grace of God and we receive his mercy, there is nothing that we have done or paid to earn that. We have received that freely. Now, it wasn't free in that it didn't cost God something because it cost God his son. It cost Jesus his life. But for you and I, salvation is free. For you and I, grace comes freely. All we have to do is accept that. And so when we bring the message of the gospel into the world as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are taking to them freely what we have received freely, and that is the grace of God. Now, it breaks my heart because sometimes you will see people in this world in ministry uh, that will be charging people for prayers or for blessings or for healings. Oh, God will heal you if you can come up with this much money or that much money. Well, boy, that's a pretty scary thing. That's a pretty sad thing, and I pray to God, and I hope that nobody in this church, myself included, that we never do that, that we never see somebody in need and say, boy, I would help you. God would love to help you, and we'd love to help you, but we can't help you unless you give a little bit. Oh, we'd love to pray for you as a church, and we'd love for you to keep coming, but if you're going to keep coming here and be part of us and receive a blessing in this place, you, you're going to have to start putting some money in. I've been watching. You had not put enough in. Now, that may seem crazy to us, 
And I hope it does, because if that seems crazy to us, that means that we've probably never thought much about doing that. But there are plenty of people in this world who would do just that, who will charge people for a prayer or for help or tell them that God will only bless them if they pray. No, what we have received has already been paid in full by Jesus Christ. The grace that we receive, the forgiveness that we receive, the mercy that we receive, the love that we receive, it has been paid in full when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. Now we have received freely if we have received that grace, and God willing, we give that grace freely because that is exactly what God wants us to do. So let us always be found faithful to do that, and that's what the apostles were supposed to do here. Look, go out and tell people good news. There's no burden that's put on them. There's no requirement that's put on them. You just spread it out there. Let them hear it. They'll either accept it or they'll reject it. But there's nothing that they can do to earn it. You can simply bring the message to them and see if they listen to what it says. Verse 9. Don't take along gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a walking stick for the worker is worthy of his food. Now, I think what Jesus is saying there when he says the worker is worthy of his food is I think Jesus says the Lord is going to provide. If you are doing the Lord's work, if you are doing the Lord's will, if you are seeking to live for him, then don't worry about these things. Don't worry about all of these other things, but the Lord will provide for you. Trust in the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he will provide all these things that you need. And I think that's the same idea maybe that Jesus had here. Look, seek the kingdom of God, do the work, and let the Lord take care of you. Don't worry about what you've got to have with you. Your only worry, your only concern, your only focus on this missionary journey is to tell people the truth about Jesus Christ and let God take care of all the rest. Verse 11, When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not listen to you, excuse me, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Now, what Jesus told his apostles here is true for you and I today. There are times in our life that we encounter people and we want to bring them the truth of the gospel. And we tell it to them. We explain it to them. We show it to them through our actions. In whatever way it may be, there are oftentimes opportunities that we bring the gospel to people who need to hear it. And praise the Lord, there are some who receive it. There are some who hear those words and they know that they are true. And they want to know more. They begin to ask questions. They, they say, well, what does God's word say about this? Well, wait a minute. God can forgive me for even this sin. Wait a minute. God still loves me even because of this? And we can say, yes, he does. And we can share with them God's word, the truth of God's word. And with excitement, there are many people in this world, praise the Lord, who hear the message and accept it. And Jesus knew that that was going to be the case with his apostles then. And it's going to be the case with his followers now. There are going to be times that we have opportunities to share with people. And some will accept that good news. Now it says here, uh, greet the household when you're entered. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. Now, what does it mean when it says worthy there? Does it mean that some are worthy of the gospel and that some are not worthy of the gospel? Well, I don't think 
that that's exactly what it means, uh, maybe the way that we would think of worthy. I think those who are worthy of the gospel are those who accept the gospel. If you don't accept the gospel, then you are unworthy of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that comes with that. If you do accept it, then you are worthy of it. Now, I don't believe that God has chosen some to be worthy and some unworthy and that we just encounter him and we say, ah, I'm not going to share with him, he's unworthy. I'm not going to share with her, she's unworthy. Or, or vice versa, well, he or she looks worthy, so I'm going to share with him. I don't think that that's uh, what God intends for us to do and I don't believe that that's what Jesus says here when he tells them if they encounter somebody, a household that is worthy to let their peace be on that household. I think those who are worthy are those who accept the message that is preached to them. And those who do not accept that message are unworthy, not because they are worse sinners necessarily than the rest of us, but because they have rejected the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for those who accept the gospel, who hear the gospel, then let peace be on them. God bless that house, that God would be with those people, that they would grow in the Lord, and that they would have a blessing from those who were coming to them, and they would continue to seek the Lord. And what a joyous thing that is when we encounter people who want to hear the Word of God, and when they hear the Word of God, they accept the Word of God, and they live by the Word of God. That's a great thing. But sadly, there are some people that reject it. And that's tough. It's tough. It's tough when you are going out and you see somebody, maybe you don't really know them, and you have an opportunity just to let them know God loves them or to share with them in some way, and you share with them and they just kind of laugh in your face. They kind of tell you you're crazy. Don't really believe what you have to say. That's tough. It makes you sad. It makes you even sadder when it's somebody you know, when it's a friend, when it's a family member, somebody that you really care about. And you know they've heard. They've heard before. And even if they haven't heard, when you have the opportunity and you share, and they just, they just don't want to accept it. They don't want to believe it. And even though they've heard the truth, they reject the truth. And there are some people in this room probably uh, that we know people that we've worked on for years. And we continue to love on them and we continue to share truth anytime we can and we continue to try to uh, try to put God's grace and mercy in their path and make it apparent to them that they need that and they continue to reject and to reject and to reject now in Jesus's case he said look if you go to a place and they don't want to hear the message they don't want to accept the message well you've done your part dust your feet off shake the dust off your feet and move on your way now I don't know if that is what we should do or not. I don't know if that was what Jesus was saying just in this particular instance for them uh, in the towns that they went to. If it was a, a one-time thing and once you try, you give up. I don't know if that's what Jesus intends for us to do. I would venture to say that Jesus probably wants us to be patient with people and continue to love on them as much as we can. I would say that there are probably some people that we try to share the gospel with and initially they reject us. But there are some people that we begin to see that over time, their heart's not really hardened to the gospel. And even though they are rejecting Jesus Christ, they're still open to hear Him. There are some people that maybe you've struck out a hundred times, and maybe you've gone to them one day, and then one day you got their ear. So I think that we need to be prayerful when we're trying to reach people for the Lord, and we have opportunities. And I personally think that Jesus wants us to continue to try to reach people as much as we can, but I also think that there are some people 
that maybe we have given it every effort we can and they have gotten to a point where they are so hard. Should we give up on them? Well, I'll let you pray about that and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Maybe there are people you have invested in time and, and you've invested your prayer life in and you, you see them and you've tried and tried and tried and they are just getting angrier and angrier and angrier and you keep, you keep sharing them the kingdom of God and they just keep trampling it underfoot. Well, how long should we continue to, uh, to, to work with those people? Well, uh, continue to do it as long as the Lord leads you to do it. If it's till the day you die, then praise the Lord, because I don't believe there's any harm in continuing to share the grace and the love of Jesus Christ with people. But there, in fact, may be some people like we see in Scripture, some that have heard the good news, some that are not willing to reject it, some that are getting angry with you, and, 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 and you may be even in harm's way, and you've done all you can do, and there may not be any more you can do. Perhaps there are times that we... Uh, spiritually speaking, shake the dust off our feet. There are some people physically uh, who do that today, who shake the dust off their feet after they've tried to reach somebody. That's still something uh, that's done. But I believe that Jesus loves us, and he loves us sinners, and he loves lost sinners, those of us who are saved and those who are lost. And I believe the gospel is there for any who would accept it. Sadly, there are many who have gotten to a point where they are so hardened, perhaps they won't ever accept. But we continue to pray, and we continue to try to love and be there for those people to point them to Jesus Christ. Verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. I assure you it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now that's an interesting end there to that verse because <laughs> we realize that the things that were going on in Sodom and Gomorrah were very evil things. Homosexuality was a problem there, the scripture tells us. It also says that they didn't, have, uh, they didn't take care of the needs of those who were in need. That was another problem in Sodom and Gomorrah. And in all the evil that was taking place there, Jesus says, these who reject the message, it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah for those who reject the message. Now, I'm not sure exactly what Jesus means by all that because sometimes in Scripture we see these varying levels of punishment when that day of judgment comes. Uh, there is one uh, parable that Jesus tells where he says, uh, the one uh, who is deserving of many blows uh, won't receive many blows because he didn't do what he didn't know to do, but the one who knew what he was supposed to do and didn't do it uh, re re receives more blows than that. Now, I didn't do that parable justice there in that explanation, but uh, the point being is there's some, some varying levels of judgment that's going to take place. Now, what that's going to look like when that day comes, I don't know how all that's going to play out. But I think what Jesus is saying in this comparison here the difference between Sodom and Gomorrah and these the apostles are going to reach out to is that the ones in Sodom and Gomorrah were living in sin and they didn't know any better. But these who were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they knew better. There's no excuse for them rejecting. There's no excuse because they've heard of Jesus. They know they should repent. They know that they need to uh, change their ways and turn to Jesus Christ. They know that there's forgiveness of sins. They know that there is grace and mercy. These are things that you and I need to know. These are things that the Bible tells us repeatedly. And when we hear these things and still reject them, woe unto us. If we don't know God's Word and we're living in ignorance, that's one thing. 
But there are many people, maybe even some in this room, who have heard the Word of God maybe a hundred times, maybe a thousand times, maybe your whole life, or maybe this is your first time to hear it. Maybe you've been coming to church all these times and your ears have been closed and you've never listened. Maybe today for the first time you're hearing that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world, that He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins and His blood was slain on your behalf. And when you come to Him and put your faith and trust in Him, you'll receive his grace and mercy and you will be forgiven. Now that is the truth. We can't claim ignorance. If we've read his word, if, if, if we've ever begun to seek him out and see him before, if we know that it says we are to repent and turn from our sinfulness, then woe unto us because we have heard the truth. Now as we go out into this world, we may experience things similar to these apostles. We may experience those who want to receive the word joyfully. We may, however, experience those who want to reject the word. Now, it may be easy to put ourselves in the shoes of the apostles here and think of ourselves as those who are going out. But what if we're on the other side of the equation? What if we are those who are hearing the word? Are you going to be the one who accepts the word of God today? Are you going to accept Jesus Christ, live for Jesus Christ, serve Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in him? Are you going to be the one who is going to reject the Lord? And boy, I hope that when that day of judgment comes, that when we all stand in the line or whatever it is, I don't know what it's going to be like. I imagine this big old long line be there and God calls up one at a time, but that's probably not what it's going to be like at all because God is way more powerful than that. But when that day comes, that day of judgment, and we're all around in whatever form, fashion we are, boy, I hope that we are that group that God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I hope that we are that group, that we hear the Word of God, that we see it written on the pages of our Bibles, and we accept it, and we listen to it, and we do what it says. Because I don't want anybody in this room to be the group that rejects the Word of God, to be in that group that it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and all the evil that was there. It'll be more tolerable for them than it will be for those who know the truth and don't accept it. Let us not be those who reject Jesus Christ. Let us be those who are faithful to Jesus Christ. Let us be those who are faithful to accept Him as our Lord and Savior. And let us be those who are faithful to grow in His Word and to grow in His life and to grow in His teachings and the way that He poured all these things into His apostles to teach them how to go. Let us learn from these things ourselves so that we can go, so that we can do the work, so that we can spread the Word, so that we can receive grace and we can give it to other people freely so they can receive it. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that you help us to learn and grow from them, dear Lord. I pray that you would uh, help us to be like your apostles in the, in the work that we do, dear Lord. That God, there may be times that you send us out to somebody to minister to them, to love on them, God. And just as you empowered them to do things that they couldn't do on their own, God, so I believe you still do us sometimes. You give us gifts and abilities, maybe to do things for you, dear Lord, so that you can be glorified. And I pray, God, that we would be faithful to represent you. God, we may not all go knocking door to door, and God, I don't believe you'd necessarily call all of us to do that. But there are times that we encounter people, dear Lord, that we can love on them, that we can give them grace and mercy, and I pray that you'd help us to do that, and that there'd be an opportunity there for them to see Jesus in us or for us to share Jesus with them. 
And God, I pray that you would help us as we hear your word, whether we read it on our own or we hear it here or hear somebody else preach it, God. I pray that we hear Jesus Christ crucified preached, dear Lord. I pray that we hear his resurrection preached. And God, I pray that we would accept that truth and that we would live by that truth and all that we would do. And I pray, God, that you would help that if there's anyone in this room that has rejected you, God, today that they had stopped their rejection and that they would accept you, that they would acknowledge who Jesus is, that they would accept what he's done on the cross, and that they would repent of their sins, dear Lord, and turn to you. God, I pray that in these next few minutes as we partake of your Lord's Supper, I pray that you bless this time, dear Lord, and let us reflect on our own lives and realize how great this Lord's Supper is. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.